And, and I must say that I, I believe there are many times that we're putting firefighters in jeopardy and going to a roof to ventilate when it is not necessary. Enchanted Sky Media. 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 Code 3, the podcast for firefighters. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again. You know, ventilating a roof's more dangerous than it looks. While falling is always a hazard, today's construction techniques may put you in a hazardous situation. Roof materials can burn through very quickly, sometimes in just minutes. Here to explain some safe roof operations is Gary Bowker. He's a retired fire chief with the U.S. Air Force and a 40-year veteran of the fire service. He's taught numerous courses and has written many articles on firefighter life safety issues, and he's also taught at FDIC. Gary Bowker joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Good morning, Scott. Thank you very much. I do appreciate this opportunity. Let's start with a basic question. Why do we still have accidents where firefighters fall through roofs? Is it a lack of training or what? Well, uh, that that's a great question, um, Scott. I, I believe that uh, there, there's probably several reasons for that. Uh, Probably the the most glaring reason would be today's roof construction uh, has changed vastly uh, over the last uh, three decades, two or three decades. It's been a progressive change, but we've we've moved from roofing materials and and structural members uh, that we call legacy construction that that had some substantiality to it under fire conditions for uh, a, a a period of time, uh, the old 20-minute rule uh, many years ago was being taught when I first came in this business, and uh, the the 20-minute rule then was that you've got about 20 minutes of operating time to be in a structure or on a structure, uh, give or take, uh, under fire conditions before things really start to go bad. Uh, so that 20-minute window was important. Today, that 20-minute rule is gone. Um, we, we've got failure of structural members on, on roofs and, and structures and floors, floor assemblies that uh, can be compromised and will collapse within a, a three to a six-minute uh, time frame. So that's a factor. I think uh, culture is probably a factor out there, firefighter uh, health and safety culture. Each department has its own culture and, and norms and attitudes about uh, how much risk they're willing to take. And I believe that's probably a factor. Um, you know, training is, is probably another facet that's very important being current with uh, uh, today's uh, materials. Uh, we know more about how wind is affecting uh, these structure fires um, and can compromise um, a roof assembly much quicker than uh, than than we knew possible probably five or six years ago. 
So how do we assess whether a roof is still safe when we arrive? Well, uh, you know, I like to, uh, you know, I, I think the whole thing really has to start with, with probably uh, training, um, making sure our firefighters are trained. But, uh, you know, having sound SOPs is a key to that. Um, you know, when, when we do make the decision that we're going to the roof now, and, and I must say that I, I believe there are many times that we're putting firefighters in jeopardy, uh, and going to a roof to ventilate when it is not necessary. I was actually going to ask you that, so I'll interrupt you and ask, yes. what are the circumstances where we don't need to be on the roof? One particular uh, instance where we shouldn't be on the roof is if we have heavy fire involvement of the structural roof support system. Uh, that compromises any roof uh, to the point that that we we need to re we need to be asking ourselves uh, should we be up here and what is the purpose for us being up here? You know, we we typically ventilate for three primary reasons. We ventilate for for life safety, we ventilate for fire control, and we ventilate for property conservation. And if we've got a structure that is a total loss, when we pull up and we set that air brake before we ever get off that rig, and that structure is going to be bulldozed, you know, uh, the following day or the following week, uh, we've got to ask ourselves, why? you know, what are we willing to risk here? It goes back to good risk management. And uh, if we if we do make that decision to go to the roof to to ventilate, uh, I I think that uh, we need to ask ourselves, you know, what are the three R's of roof ventilation uh, if it is needed? And that the three R's are uh, reading the roof. Uh, what when when I say reading the roof, we're looking at what is the construction type of the the structure that's involved. Uh, if it's lightweight construction uh, and we've got heavy fire involvement of that roof, that should be a no-go situation. Um, what is the age of the structure? Uh, is it abandoned? Is it occupied? Um, the second R is reading the risk. Um, you know, and that goes back to uh, how much involvement do we have? Is it a partial involvement that we can get in there and make a maybe perhaps a, a quick stop on the fire? Uh, or is it more advanced? Um, you know, the the newer, many newer homes and newer structures have a much higher pitch uh, on the roof than years ago, and and those are extremely uh, dangerous to work on. And so, you know, that goes back to good SOPs uh, that if we choose to, we are going to the roof to work, then we need to have a, a either roof ladder. Uh, ensure that personnel are operating off of that or uh, an aerial platform of some type that crews can operate on and and not uh, be on that roof deck. And then the third R is reading the smoke. Uh, many times that volume, the, the amount of smoke, the color of the smoke, the velocity is key, how quickly that smoke is exiting out of that roof and around those eaves gives us an indicator as to the extent of the fire and the location of the fire. And uh, uh, again, if this is a lightweight roof, that should be a no-go situation. Um, you know, we we witnessed uh, uh, the, the horrific event uh, 
that Fresno Fire, the Fresno, California Fire Department experienced when Captain Pete Dern went through the roof deck on a residential structure fire uh, several years ago and was seriously burned. And and uh, we're very thankful that that Captain Dern survived that because he, he was very fortunate to have uh, lived through that ordeal. But again, it goes back to reading the three R's, and then and then culture plays a big part in that. And what is the culture of our department, and how bold are we typically going to be at these type scenarios? Fire in the attic, is that an automatic no-go, or is it dependent on the kind of construction? Well, it depends a lot on the kind of construction, and it depends on the extent of the fire. Uh, in the attic or or in the void space between floors, uh, same type of danger. Um, you know, if if the fire is limited and you've got an adequate flow of water and accessibility to that area, uh, oftentimes that fire can be stopped uh, before uh, you know before we reach that point of 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 no return or of danger uh, of collapse. And uh, so it, it does depend a lot on on how quickly, you know, we've got to factor how quickly can we gain access to that to that attic space or that void space um, to to get control of that situation before uh, before we reach uh, the danger point. And, and then again, wind has to be a factor that we use during our size up. That's part of reading that risk is what is the wind direction? And, uh, you know, if we're talking about a roof that the wind may be entering the eave space and uh, we're either ventilating or that eave space may find an opening uh, or that, excuse me, that, that attic space may find an opening or a flow path down through that ceiling or down through the bottom of the roof through into the structure, uh, that you know, things become extremely uh, precarious or can be very, very dangerous. You know, these the situation, situations can develop so rapidly that, you know, we may have a, uh, a situation that, that appears to be controllable, and within a matter of a minute or, or two minutes or so of, of either gaining access or making an opening, uh, these things can turn into monster fires. So... You know, we they, they can change very rapidly, and that has to be uh, constantly monitored. That goes back to good firefighter situational awareness and, and continually monitoring. Now we've discussed briefly how the time that the time era period structures were built plays into roof safety. Can you give me a little bit more on that? Maybe you'll talk about balloon construction too. Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, you know, prior to uh, uh, the 1970s was the advent, probably, uh, you know, it just didn't happen overnight. But in the 1970s is where we started seeing more and more lightweight wood frame construction. The two befores with the, the metal nailer plates or the gusset plates that hold the roof assembly uh, together. And uh, uh, these trusses really became popular in the 70s, and then more and more lightweight materials. We saw uh, the progression of that uh, just uh, 
pick up immensely into the 80s and 90s and now today you know we we call that modern construction uh, but they primarily use these engineered lightweight wood frame components that that will just fail very rapidly under fire conditions prior to the 1970s from the 60s on back uh, we used what we term today that would be legacy or i like to call that traditional wood frame uh, where we use solid dimension lumber in the construction of, of floor and roof assemblies. And, and there was more time, there was more, there's more mass there. The more mass there is in that building material, the more time it allows for firefighting operations before that structural component becomes compromised. And uh, balloon frame construction was a type of wood frame construction that was very, very popular uh, in the late 19th century, mid to late 19th century, uh, up through the 20th century, up until about World War II. And here in the Midwest, where I'm located here in Kansas, uh, we have numerous uh, old homes uh, and structures that were built of this balloon frame style construction. And balloon frame, um, is typically unique in, in the fact that uh, there were no fire stops built into the exterior walls. So a fire could start in a basement, for example, in a balloon frame structure, and that fire could immediately gain access into the wall void between the wall studs on these exterior walls and go directly up to the attic space. And wherever the, the first floor or the second floor of many of these structures are multi-story, intersect that exterior wall, there is a, a, uh, a joist channel that is also open. The floor joists that construct that, that hold up that floor, that wall void intersects that, that joist space. And so we can get fire going not only up the wall void up the interior of that wall space to the attic fire will also be honeycombing underneath the floors simultaneously and we can get uh, an extensive or or a widespread amount of fire involvement uh, fairly quickly in these uh, old balloon frame structures so uh, you know one of the standard procedures that needs to be looked at when we respond to a balloon frame structure fire is number one it's probably going to the attic uh, so be prepared you know you may arrive and think you've got a basement fire and in reality not only is the basement burning uh, you know a minute later the attic's also involved so uh, that's the danger with, with the with these balloon frame structures but they're they're plentiful we have you know tens of thousands of these structures all over America they're you know Coast to coast, uh, these structures are, are commonly found. Finally, as concerns roof operations, what can we determine from the smoke that we see coming from a structure fire when, when we arrive? Uh, that's, a, that's a great point. Uh, that goes back to the third R of, of roof ventilation, reading the smoke. Uh, we know that... Uh, uh, the the art of reading the smoke is is a skill that can be learned, and uh, my my good friend Dave Dodson 
was the author of that program, uh, The Art of Reading Smoke. Uh, I was stationed with Dave. Uh, he and I were in the military together in the Air Force in the 1980s, and we worked together, and that was prior to him writing this program. But I do recall on many of our conversations, he would talk about that, and uh, that became a, a passion for him to develop that course. And, and today it's it's one of the more, I think it's a critical course that all firefighters should be uh, skilled and learning the techniques and how to read smoke. And it's something that takes uh, learning the basic skills on how to do this and then practice, practice, practice is the key thing on reading smoke. But, you know, it's a big red flag warning sign for us. Whenever we arrive at a structure fire and we've got heavy a heavy volume of smoke that's dark, that may be um, fast moving, uh, that's venting from the roof or from the eave area, uh, that needs to be a red flag warning for the incident commander and for the fire officers on the fire ground. And, and that was one of the things that really shocked me about the Pete Dern injury in Fresno was uh, the, the fact that the incident commander made the decision to send a crew to a roof. And you look at the smoke in that video, and, and it's just got ugly written all over it. And um, um, why the, you know, Captain Dern was an experienced fire officer. Um, many of the other fire officers on the fire ground, you look at this video, were, were uh, present and should have been able to read the indications of, of what that smoke was doing. And um, yet uh, no one intervened in that, that scenario. And, and we know what happened, that Captain Dern was seriously injured. And in the second main point, uh, the investigation team that looked into that fire found that uh, this was a lightweight wood, wood frame constructed roof. And, and, you know, that should have been a no-go scenario, looking, recognizing a lightweight wood frame construction. Um, so there were a number of things that were learned, uh, that were looked at, rather, but nothing new was learned um, by that investigative team after that fire where he was injured. And, and they noticed uh, during their investigation there were dozens of NIOSH reports that cited the exact same scenarios that they were finding that were factors in, in this uh, fire that, that resulted in his injury. So the bottom line uh, after this investigation was the question, why did this happen? Why did we not know? Why did we not learn from these NIOSH reports? And that resulted is resulting in a change of culture in that department to where they're putting firefighter safety a priority, uh, you know, in in how they're sizing up uh, these fires and uh, making that a priority for their fire officers to to be very uh, competent and skilled in and in, in doing that. And we hope that we can learn from incidents like that so that things never happen the same way again. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we, we've got a long history in America of not learning lessons and, and firefighters generations for generations later paying that price. Um, you know, uh, whether it's uh, lightweight construction or whether it's truss roof construction, um, I've 
just recently wrote an article on parapet walls and the dangers of parapet wall collapse. And that's, again, another skill and another danger that's out there that the old firefighters from decades ago were aware of. But we've got newer firefighters, uh, newer generations of firefighters that have just been on the job, you know, maybe a, a matter of several years or, or so. And they've not got a clue, some of them, about what a parapet wall is or what the dangers are. So absolutely, it's one of these things that if we don't use it, we lose it. Uh, that training is critical. All right, we'll leave it there, Gary Bowker. Thanks for joining us on Code 3. Scott, it's my pleasure, and uh, I do appreciate the invitation to, to speak with you this morning. We've put some more information about roof operations on our website, code3podcast.com slash roofops. Check it out. Next time on Code 3, we have our Christmas gift to you. No, you can't peek. But I'll give you a hint. That's on the December 21st edition of Code 3. Don't miss it. Now here's Holly. Thanks, Scott. If you haven't become a patron of Code 3 yet, now's your chance. All you do is click on the Patreon link on our website, code3podcast.com. You can make a monthly pledge to support the podcast. We want to make this the best show we can, but we need you to join us. What's Code 3 worth to you? A dollar a month? Five? Ten? Maybe more. And when you pledge, we have some nice rewards for you. So don't wait. Do it today. And become a patron of Code 3 right now. And that's it for this edition of Code 3. It's another one in the can. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. 